Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you for worshiping with us. You may be seated. Now say this with me. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. That's what we're here to do tonight. And I just want to take a brief moment to introduce to you uh, something cool that we're doing this service. And uh, so I got together with Pastor Jay and and he said, hey, would you take a look at the Hallel Psalms? And so the Hallel Psalms, uh, and you'll notice we just said hallelujah. The first part of that's Hallel. That means praise. So we say hallelujah. That's praise be to God in Hebrew. And so the music for this service, for this Monday Thursday, is uh, themed with the themes that are covered in the Hallel Psalms. And the Hallel Psalms are traditionally sung and are still sung during Passover, right? And so Monday, Thursday, the Last Supper, right, Passover. And so Jesus sang these psalms. And we know that's true because in the Gospel of Mark it says that when Passover was finished that Jesus sang a hymn with his disciples, and departed to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so that psalm was probably Psalm 115, right? Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, give praise. And I can just hear his voice. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Amen. Hallelujah. That gives me chills. So we're, we're singing in the themes of the Hallel Psalms. And so I've just created a list here of some themes. So Psalm 113, God's character, right? We just sang about that, right? Who God is. Deliverance from Egypt and and community salvation. Psalm 114 covers the deliverance story from Egypt. And so when the Israelites sang that, they're remembering that story. Uh, Devotion and commitment, which is Psalm 115, right? We just talked about that. And then Psalm 116's personal salvation. Psalm 117 is a universal exhortation. And then lastly, victory in God and Christ. And you, you'll, you're familiar with Psalm 118. That says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the? Amen. Amen. You know your Bible. I'm so glad to hear that. So why is this of value to us? And why are we talking about it as New Testament believers, right? Well, the scriptures are inspired, amen? And these songs that Jesus sang, they're about himself. And I can just imagine him singing these songs in preparation for what he's about to do. And we live on this New Testament side of, we know that, that these psalms are uh, prophetic, and, and many of them are. Right? Psalm 16 is, you'll never let your servant see decay, undergo decay. Right? We point to that. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, make your, enemies your footstool. Right? Jesus points to these psalms and says, this is about me, this is about me, this is about me. But he hasn't gone to the cross yet. Right? And so Jesus is fully God and fully man, bearing every temptation. Right? And I know that the devil tempted him 40 days in the wilderness. You remember that? And it says it departed from him for a time. But I know from my own personal experience that I'm preparing something with with great spiritual importance and preparation. The enemy's throwing darts at me. And so I know that Satan's whispering in his ear, right? And in the garden, he's praying. He's, He's bleeding from his pores, drops of blood. And he's singing these psalms. And so why is this important for us? 
Well, number one, it's what Jesus did, right? He's our model. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, amen? But it's, it's so important. You see these themes of remembrance. Israel's called to remember who they are. And God created them to be a people of praise, right? And the praise that we share with the world exhibits God's unique glory and greatness and holiness and what it's like to live with a holy and awesome father, right? And that's what Israel was meant to do. And now as the new Israel, that's what we're meant to do. So we sing these themes and we look at these psalms because they help us remember how God has delivered us from our own personal Egypt, our own deserts. You remember those times in your life that God's delivered you, right? They call us to remember, remember. They strengthen our faith, right? When we sing, it, I heard somebody say, when, whoever sings prays twice. That strengthens our faith. So as we sing God's word, we sing these truths over ourselves. Uh, holy, God, the, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. God is meeting with us right now. Where two or three are gathered in his name, therefore I am also. His spirit is among us. And so this strengthens our faith. Right? Jesus is praying in the garden, and an angel comes to minister to him. Right? God answers prayer. And God responds to our praise. And you know what? The enemy responds to our praise too. And he doesn't like it. It's the opposite of what he wants. And that's my last point. It's spiritual warfare. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what the enemy's been whispering in your ear. But God is greater. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Amen. And so that's the importance of these psalms, and that's why each of the songs that we're going to sing are themed in the likeness of the Hallel Psalms. And so the, this next song that we're going to sing together, uh, it's really about personal deliverance and identity in God. And so we identify as, as um, we're new creations in Christ, right? God has personally saved each of us. But we've also been saved into a family of believers, right? right? We're living stones, right? Building together into God's house. And so our identity is also in the family of God. So I want to challenge you to think about your testimony and your salvation story in the context of a church family. Think about the people who have poured into you. Think about the people who serve you every week, every weekend. Think about the folks that discipled you, that shared the good news with you, right? Those are all ministers of the Lord, right? Marking your journey. And you too are a living stone, right? You're a member of one body and the head is Christ Jesus. And so, Jesus died for his church, right? Jesus presently loves his church, amen? That's good news. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you love and serve the church? You online, do you love and serve the church? Have you sought refuge among God's people in this time? Have you? Our identity, our deliverance is to be a part of the body of Christ. If you haven't, why not? Think about that. What's stopping you, right? What's preventing you from becoming a part and serving? And if you have, if you have, are serving your church right now, and you're bar you've been belonging to the body, can you give testimony 
to God's goodness and salvation through his church. Okay? So we're going to, I'm wrapping up here, but we're going to read a responsive reading together. It's from Psalm 118. And I think it really encapsulates uh, kind of this idea of deliverance and and uh, this victory that we have in God. So let's stand together, and uh, I'm going to read the, the normal portions of the scripture, and then uh, you're going to read the, we're going to read the bolded part together, okay? All right. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let Israel say, His faithful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, Let those who fear the Lord say, His faithful love endures forever. I called to the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me. And, and put me in a spacious place. place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What, what can, can mere, mere mortal, mortal do to me? me? The Lord is my her- helper. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me. Amen. Well, as you guys know, this is Maundy Thursday, which um, many of you have probably not uh, celebrated before. But what I love about it is, oh, I love a lot of things about it. But we are in many ways reenacting that night, that Thursday night. We are the disciples of Jesus, gathering together in the presence of Jesus to take this supper that he has given us. Together, to sing the themes of the Hallel Psalms together, to receive from Jesus the high calling of love. The Thursday night before Easter. That's what Mondi, the Mondi means. It comes from the Latin word for mandate or command. It's in reference to that that night before Jesus was crucified when he gathers his disciples together and he said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. Now, in one sense, there's nothing new about that high calling of love. I mean, when Jesus said to love your neighbor, he's quoting from the Old Testament. It was always there to love. So what makes it new? What makes it new is when Jesus says, as I have loved you. But that begs a second question, doesn't it? How did Jesus love them? Well, he tells his disciples how he loved them later that night. Uh, Just two chapters later in the Gospel of John, he says, As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus loved them with the love of God the Father. And in a similar way, we are to love with the love of Jesus and abide in in his love, as he says. It's not merely following Jesus' example. Instead, we are actually to become conduits of his very love. Not just imitating his love, but participating in his love for his disciples. So that when we love, we actually love out of Christ's love. 
When Jesus prays for his disciples, that beautiful prayer, right before he goes to die for them, he closes that high priestly prayer with this saying. He says, that the love with which you, remember he's talking to God, the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus, he says, he indwells us, filling us with his presence. And his, in his eyes, the way he sees it, his indwelling of his person is intimately tied to the indwelling of God's love within us. The very same love that the eternal Father has for the eternal Son. We can accidentally make Christianity a smaller thing than it really is by limiting it to just mustering up the strength to act a certain way or or do certain things that we think Jesus would do. According to Jesus, becoming a Christian is being filled and completed by the incomprehensible inter-Trinitarian love of God himself. It is from this inexhaustible fountain of love that Jesus loved his disciples. And if we are to love as he loved, we must abide in his love and love others out of the overflow of God's love. Only then will we be able to genuinely and deeply love those who do not deserve it or love those with a willingness to make the ultimate sacrifice To love without agenda and love no matter what it takes. Jesus' kind of love was radically new because it is ultimate greatness condescending to serve the lowly. It is perfect holiness stooping to serve evil people. And then taking it a step further. And then grafting those lowly evil creatures into his great and holy vine that they may bear fruit of his glorious love. And it's with this incredible understanding that we can have hope that we could actually love the way he calls us to love. Because in ourselves, we could never love as Christ loves. But through his spirit, we participate in his divine love by experiencing it ourselves and then extending it To others. And it's with this hope that I want you to hear and meditate on the scriptural mandates to love. I just want us to take a beat and take a breath and slow down and listen to God's word call us to love. I'm going to take my time, read some of the great texts of scripture calling us to this kind of love so we can feel the weight of it, the significance of it. I just want us to hear them together, reflect on them with a prayerful heart to receive God's grace to live in this love. So here we go. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is my commandment, that you love one another As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not... For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must must also love his brother. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient and Kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Amen? In the 13th chapter of the book of John is where we're at tonight. I encourage you to take your Bible and follow along with me. John chapter 13. What a wonderful night of worship already. Amen. Has your heart been stirred and warmed tonight? As we look at this passage of Scripture, it's familiar to you, but I want you to hear it fresh tonight. I want you to hear God's word for you tonight. 
The setting was after the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. He comes into the city of Jerusalem. He looks around. He is worshipped there by children. The authorities are beginning to hate him with a hatred in order to kill him. He retreats. He curses the fig tree. He comes into Jerusalem teaching in the synagogue, uh, teaching in the temple complex, and he would retreat to Bethany and then back into Jerusalem. On Thursday, he had sent his disciples in to there a man would be carrying a pitcher and he would follow him and rent a room in an upper room. There was no servants in the room to set it up, so the disciples were in charge of setting up to have Passover together with the Lord Jesus. It's in that Passover setting in a rented room in Jerusalem that Jesus gathers with his disciples. Now in chapter number 13, verse 1, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took up a towel, and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who's bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. And this is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Amen. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. As we look at this passage of Scripture tonight, let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to speak to our hearts, O Holy Spirit of God. Convict us about who we are in Christ. Convict us about what Jesus has called us to do. 
Convince us of what is true and right. Lead us to repentance and turning from sin and trusting in you. Holy Spirit, comfort us in our grief and discouragement. Holy Spirit, open our eyes so we might see the truth of who Jesus is and what you've called us to do. Father, have your way in our lives. We need you now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture tonight, it's so easy to focus on what Jesus did for the disciples, but I want to put it in the first person tonight. And as we look at each point, I want just to say it in terms of us, what Jesus has done for us. And so the very first point tonight is Jesus loves us. And I want us to say it all, all say it out loud. Jesus, how many of y'all believe that? He loves us. Now what kind of love does he have for us? Chapter 13, verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, how did he love him? He loved them how long? How, how, to the very end. The word that is used there to the very end is the word teleos. This Greek word teleos, you could translate to the end. You could translate it to the uttermost. You could translate it love completely to the end. One translation says eternally is the idea. God's love for you is not fickle. It is eternal. It's complete. It is thorough. He doesn't love you and then not love you. He doesn't. There's nothing that you can do that exhausts the love of God. And however deep and dark your sins is, the sin is, the grace of God goes deeper than your sin. And it can transform your life. His love for you is not capricious. His love for you is not changeable, as we just sang. His love is not fickle. Great is your faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. God loves you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah said. God loves you. Jesus said, I'll never leave you, nor what? Forsake you, ever. I'll never abandon you. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays that high priestly prayer not long after this. And he says, those you've given to me, I've lost none except the son of perdition. So whatever valley, anybody going through some valleys? Anybody here ever been in a valley? I've been in valleys so deep and dark. And I don't know how deep or dark the valley path is that you're going through. And you may be going through a valley like the the valley of the shadow of death. But David said, in that dark and deepest valley, I fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they do comfort me. He shepherds you through the valleys. He loves you uttermost to the end completely. Jesus didn't quit loving those disciples. He loved them to the very end. 
Whenever we have enemies surrounding us, he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. He is with us. God be for us, who can be against us? That's why surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He loves you to the end. Say it again with me. Jesus, what? This I know. Yeah. You went to the same Sunday school I did. <laughs> Number two, Jesus serves me. In verse number four and five, notice in this upper room, he loved these men. He loved them so much. They're celebrating Passover together, the remembering how God provided for the exodus for the children of Israel by, by passing over the sinful Jewish people that were under the blood, over the doorposts. And God passed over them and judged Egypt and brought with a strong arm them out of Egypt. Jesus there with his disciples, loving them, remembering that together, realizes as they look about, others had realized it surely. There was no menial slave to take up the task of washing feet. It was was a cultural no-no not to have a servant there when you were a host and wash everyone's feet, anoint their head with oil, refresh them before they eat a meal together. But there was no one there to be a servant. So you know the story. The disciples, I think, were probably looking around trying to figure out what the pecking order ought to be and who ought to be the lowest and who ought to be serving. Peter says, you think it's me? No, not me. John says, not me. James says, not me. Thomas says, I don't think it's me. (laughs) And Jesus gets up from supper. He lays aside his robes. I think it's a picture of something he did in eternity past. He girds himself with a towel. And our Savior... The Son of God. It is for feet. Well, I I got girding towels and then I have washing towels. And this is the washing towel, John. Come over to the house later and I'll show you the girding towel. It's fun to be in God's house, amen? Amen. So he takes this. And he goes to these men. It'll dry. And he decides to wash their feet. Their feet are filthy dirty. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many.
And he kneels at those disciples like a slave. The lowest of the low in the household order. The lowest job is the menial task of washing feet. And he washes them. He takes the lowest position. And he comes to the feet of the prideful. And he washes them. And the feet of the jealous and competitive. And he washes them. And the feet of the sinful. And he washes them. And the feet of the secretive. And he washes them. And the feet of the doubtful and fearful. And he washes them. And he comes to the feet of the political, the zealots. And he washes them. Oh, I think there's a message here. And he comes to the feet of a denier. Of one that claims to be a leader. Claims, if everybody else, not me, I'm willing to die for you. The rest of them said the same. No. He comes to the feet of the needy. They all needed him to wash their feet because they were all sinful. But he even comes to the feet of the very one who had already arranged to betray him and see that he's killed. Some of y'all going through hard times and you want to fight back the zealots. You want to fight in the politics. You want to fight against somebody you think's betrayed you, hurt you. And you're going to take up arms. Jesus takes up a towel. And said, we're all love them. I love you. And you need to picture yourself in that room because Jesus is serving you. Say it with me. Jesus serves me. He's serving you. And he ultimately served you in the very real act of dying for you. Amen. His love wasn't words. It wasn't just emotions. His love was an action. He acted in his love. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God hath demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. Number three. Jesus teaches us. Say it out loud with me. He teaches us. After he'd finished washing all of their feet and they're humiliated by that, I think they're awestruck. They don't even know what to say. How, how did this happen? They're humbled by it. When he rises from washing their feet, he puts his garments back on and he assumes the chair of authority as master, teacher, and rabbi. 
and he's teaching. Verse number 13. And notice what the scripture says. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, master and Lord, teacher. And you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you what? And a what? Example. An example that you should do just as I have done for you. He teaches by example, by model, and he's teaching by instruction. You call me Lord and Master, and that's what I am. If I be your Lord and Master, is a master is a servant greater than his master? If I, be, I, being your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, if I, being your Lord and Master, have humbled myself and served you, then you ought to serve one another. Because here's the truth. The greatest in the kingdom are the least. And the one who fight for position, are not the le- they, they are not the greatest, but they're the least in the kingdom. In Philippians chapter 2, it's the picture of this very thing. It's, it's how he laid aside his rights, did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but he emptied himself, becoming like a servant, becoming like a, a man, like a servant. And he died on a criminal's cross for us. He didn't hold on to his rights. He didn't hold on to position. He didn't hold on to authority. He took up a servant's role. He dies like a criminal, and love acted for us. He took our shame and our reproach. He took our sin, and they made them his very own. And he took the suffering that we should have, and he entered into that suffering for us. Our sins were against him, against the holy God. We sinned against him, and yet he loved us. And he says, you do the same. People that sin against you, people that hurt you, people that mistreat you, love them. Love them. You want to be great in the kingdom? You want to agree? Who wants to be great in God's kingdom? And then get your towel. Get your towel. Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Jesus called them over and said, You know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them, but not so among you. But on the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Finally, say these words with us. 
Jesus commissioned us. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. You wash one another's feet, he says in verse 14. And in verse 34, do we have that scripture verse? 1334. Let's read it together. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also loved. That's the command. Go love. Here's your commission, boys. See this towel? Take it. And when people treat you ugly, serve them. And when people mistreat you, serve them. And when people get political, get down and serve them. And when people deny you, serve them. And when your best friend betrays you, serve them. And when all hell's falling apart in your life, serve them. You say, Brother Tim, how do I do that? Well, we love because he first loved us. We love because we abide in him. And his love, Jay talked about it just a moment ago, works in us. You see, the way it happens is you've got to die to yourself Amen. and let Jesus live in you. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Hallelujah. Father in heaven, thank you for this great word tonight. I pray that it would speak deep into our hearts. Oh, Father, thank you for the way you've loved us in Christ. May we love. May we love one another. May we love our enemies. May we love you with a real passionate love. In Jesus' name, amen.